study brings us to Matthew chapter 7 tonight, Matthew's Gospel, the 7th chapter. And we're coming to verse 12, but in order to understand verse 12, we must go back and read the preceding verses because all of this, these are connected. And you'll see that as we study the portion of Scripture for us tonight. Matthew 7 and verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? In our text tonight, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law, and the prophets. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 16 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in, in any way wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. In Matthew chapter 22, when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. When the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, and that's a scribe, a copier of the law, a teacher of the, the rabbinical law, and the Old Testament law, one of them asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? They love to nitpick and love to try to catch Jesus in a, a, a trap. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The root of sin is self, and it is mankind's deepest problem. When you trace any sin to its primary root, there is an obsession with one's self. We sin because we are selfish. We want our way. And the heart of idolatry is the cult of self, with self on the throne of our hearts and our lives, determining, motivating, guiding us. 
But notice our text begins with therefore. And when you're studying the scripture, anytime you see a therefore, you should ask what it's there for. <laughs> so the therefore is referring back to previously taught uh, information. And remember, this is one sermon. We're looking at it in little sections and almost verse by verse. And yet it is to be taken as a whole. And the immediate context is dealing with the section on judgment that we just read. The statement does not stand alone, but is connected to all the other. Our Lord is instructing on the sin of judging the motives of other people, something we're not equipped to do. We cannot look in someone's heart and mind. We can't examine actions. We can look at behavior, and uh, behavior often does is an indication of what's going on on the inside, but none of us are omniscient, and none of us see as God sees down to the, the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and we must be very careful about that. That's what he's talking about here. This is to be the rule, verse 12 is, our standard in dealing with one another. How am I to treat my neighbor, the lawyer asked. What is the greatest commandment? We wonder what he expected the Lord Jesus to say. After all, he was the Word made flesh. He knew the Word of God perfectly. He was and is the living Word. This is the rule, though, our standard for dealing with one another. It's quite simple. And the question we are to ask ourselves in any matter with any person is this. This is the standard. How is it that I would want to be dealt with in this matter? What if it were me? What if the roles were reversed? What if I was at fault or I was in need or whatever the situation is? When we are offended or someone has done something to us or we are in a place to extend mercy or kindness, how would I want others to think and respond to and to treat me in this same situation if the roles were reversed. This verse sums up the whole issue of judgment. No wonder this verse is most often referred to as the golden rule. We have often heard it said, I'm sure all of our mothers taught us, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's another uh, summary of what this verse is teaching. This is truly the gold standard, isn't it? We, we use that word to... Uh, describes something of the highest essence of any category, whether it's an object or the way of doing things. This is the gold standard of how to treat one another. Our Lord said the whole matter could be condensed in this statement. Love others just like you love yourself, because we do love ourselves. The Apostle Paul gives this illustration of self-love. We instruct husbands how to treat their wives. In Ephesians 5, he says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. We love ourselves. Not just men loving themselves, women love themselves. And uh, Jesus is appealing to that innate human concept of self-preservation and making sure that we have what we want and need, he says this is a standard that we are to deal with with one another. This verse refers back to everything taught in verses 7 through 11. Matthew Henry writes, We cannot expect to receive good things from God if we do not fare things and that which is lovely and of good report among men. How much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, he says, give good things 
to them that ask him. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. Our Lord Jesus points out the most important relationship here, our relationship with God. He is our creator, and through the new birth, when we are born again, he becomes our father, our heavenly father. And what a precious relationship that is. While God is ruler and controller and supreme, and our Lord Jesus will ultimately judge all things, in our present relationship, we must never lose sight that God is our heavenly father. Just as an earthly father wants the best for his children, provides for them, guides them, guards them, protects them, this is our Heavenly Father. And this is the basis on which we come to him and make our requests known. And he gives that illustration, which we've often used that, that text, Ask and you shall receive, as kind of a blanket verse for prayer. And it certainly does teach that. But in the context, as we saw last Wednesday, what is it teaching? We need great measures of grace from God, don't we, to live like this, to treat someone as ourselves, to not cast judgment, to not say that's what they meant when they did this or to judge one's motives and, and, and so forth. And we need to ask the Lord. And remember when the disciples came to the Lord and says, how many times did we forgive somebody? Seven times? And the Lord gave that, that impossible, humanly speaking, uh, standard of 70 times seven. That takes a lot of grace for someone to keep over and over and over again offending us and us forgiving them. And he always brings us back to the heart of the matter. This is how God deals with us as his children. How often do we come to him for grace? How often do we have to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me and cleanse me. I thought this or did this or I have not been faithful here. And so we, we transfer that, that treatment of God to us is quick to forgive and long-suffering in our dealings with one another. How much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, remember that relationship, your heavenly Father, give good things to them that ask Him. Not things that will spoil us, but all that we need from God are good things, aren't they? And He has promised to supply those needs, but therefore all things whatsoever you would do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. So the unbreakable connection between the two is this. And not only are we to think about how we want others to treat us, but how the Lord treats us. And we've just pointed that out, how gracious He is. How can we expect God to forgive us the, the myriad of times a day, no doubt, and on and on again if we don't have that same attitude of forbearing and forgiveness and mercy to other people? How can we expect blessings from Him when we're stingy with others? in our dealings with them, in compassion and love and affection, or even in material ways that we could help meet their needs. We, we like to be lavished upon and for people to give us far beyond the benefit of the doubt and be uh, uh, large-hearted toward us. Why is it that that is not easy to come by on this end when we're, we're giving it back to others? Whatever people need from you, you need from God. You may have had to say to someone, I'm sorry today, I'm sorry I was wrong, or whatever it is. You need that from the Lord too, don't you? Because if you wrong them, you sin against God. And we need measures of grace and forgiveness and mercy from God. Do we, do we often, on any given day, want the benefit of the doubt for someone to cut us some slack or to see that we're having a bad day or that we're piled up with work or we might not have seen the thing or whatever it is, we expect for others to give us what we call the benefit of the doubt. 
and then it needs to be extended to them in a reciprocal way. The spiritual laws are just as literal and as binding as the natural laws. Remember what he says here, a person who continually judges the motives in his, of other people, that same kind of judgment will be given back to them if they uh, repetitively and routinely deal with people on that that level, that's how they're going to be received. That's how you're going to be treated as well, he says. And so these are spiritual laws. They're just as binding as the natural laws of gravity or any other the scientific laws that we could mention. And First Corinthians chapter 9 tells us, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. We usually think of that in this context of giving, literally, to the Lord's work financially. But it's true in any area giving uh, love and affection sparingly or uh, the benefit of the doubt or grace, whatever it is. He that sows sparingly, that's just a law that, that governs, will reap sparingly. If you only sow three tomato seeds, how could you expect to, to reap any more? The most you could expect is three tomato plants, and by the law of averages, the, those three might not come up. So if you want a lot of tomato plants, you're going to set out a lot of seeds or a lot of plants. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower both minister bread for your food and multiply your own seed and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully. This is how we're to treat one another, graciously, bountifully. Since we have a gracious and loving Heavenly Father who gives us what we need, and He gives us far more than that, doesn't He? Oh, how blessed we are. Then we're duty-bound to show that same lavish graciousness to others when we come in contact with them. Ephesians 5.1, Be ye therefore followers. And the word in the Greek for followers means imitators, mimics, as a little boy following his father out to the... Uh, the garage to get his tools. He does everything his father does. He copies. He follows in his footsteps. Be ye mimickers of God. As God treats us, we're to give that same graciousness to one another as dear children. If you treat others only as they treat you, you're living on the lowest level. Even the heathen do that. It lost people often live by that standard. You treat me right, I'll treat you right. You don't rob from me, I won't rob from you. You scratch my back, I... That, that lowest level of, of, of living. Remember our Lord said back in verse five, chapter 5, verse 20, For I say unto you, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 6, verse 8, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. How do we decide what is good for them? What is it? What measure do we use? What is the standard that we use? He tells us all, in verse 12, All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, even 
do you even so to them. What a simple standard that is. Whatever you think in any matter would be best and fair and appropriate for yourself, that's how you're to do to them. We're to treat others in the same manner. This tears selfishness out by the root, doesn't it? Christ came to teach us not only what we're to know and to believe what is written, but what we're to do. What we're to do not only toward God, but toward men. Not only toward our fellow disciples, those of our own party and persuasion, but toward men in general, all with whom we have to do. It is a poor level of Christianity that only treats other Christians nicely. I've seen that kind of attitude, this sectarian kind of attitude. But Jesus said this is the standard that we as believers should show toward other people. Lavish, gracious uh, treatment toward others. A.W. Pink writes, It is utterly vain to speak like angels when on our knees before God if we act like devils in our transactions with men. And in fact, how do people really evaluate our Christianity? By our transactions with them. By our interactions with them in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the daily round of life. Not only are we using the standard of fairness and equity and graciousness and how we want to be treated when dealing with others, in doing so, we put them on the same level with ourselves, knowing we're just as indebted to others as, as they are to us. Or we never know what a day will bring forth, do we? We never know when we will need to be on the receiving end of understanding or someone to lend us a hand or someone to be gracious to us and, and to help us. We never know what other uh, similar situation we might be in one day. Oh, things are not always going to be as they are right now. Do you know that? The seasons of life bring all kinds of twists and turns. Who knows what measures of grace and understanding and help and provision you will need one day and, and the understanding that you will want in that day. We know this. We're all aging and getting older, and every stage of life will bring its own set of circumstances, certain needs that you might not have need of now. You may not need someone to, to help you or lead you about now, but there will come a day if you live long enough. And all this is in this, this golden rule of how we treat one another. Now, we're to, never to do anything purposefully which would cause grief to our neighbors. Remember, the moral law of God is divided into two sections. Those which deal with our responsibility toward God and those that deal with our responsibilities toward our neighbor. We would never do anything that would cause our neighbor or anyone else to suffer loss. We, we think about our actions. We think about uh, the decisions that we're making, our attitudes. What a high standard this is for us to live by. And I'm sure some are thinking, well, that's just an impossible standard. Some people don't deserve to be treated fairly or nicely or kindly. Some people is us. Do we deserve to be treated with that kind of the grace that God has extended to us? Remember the parable we looked at, the man who was, who was forgiven a debt of millions and millions and millions of dollars by his master? He had embezzled. He was a, an assistant to the tax collector, some have said, and he embezzled the money that was to go for the taxes of that whole province to the Roman government. And he came in and pled his case and cast himself at the mercy of his, of his boss and he forgave him. And that same man went out and grabbed a friend by the, the collar who owed him just a few dollars and said, pay it, by, and pay it now. And he couldn't and he put him in prison. One of the most horrible stories in all the scripture. And yet that so often is our attitude. If you are saved tonight, if you know the Lord is your Savior, 
you have been forgiven of a debt you could have never paid. You owed a debt to the perfect holiness of God that no amount of religious deeds and performance could ever begin to touch. And God in grace looked down and said, I forgive you, I receive you unto myself. How can we not forgive someone of of something they've done to us or toward us, even something grievous? Remember, our sins before the Lord are grievous as well. What a high standard it is. Remember, we're not to treat them as they treat us. Some people do this tit for tat, keep score. I'll do exactly what you've done and no more. I'll do exactly what you've done in return. We're rather, the standard is how do you want to be received? How, what kind of attitudes do you want people to have toward you? This is the standard. This is living by heaven's laws. It's quite contrary to the laws of earth, isn't it? Because we live in a society in a mindset, revenge, You do something to me, I'll do it back to you. You don't help me, I won't help you. That's the natural man, the unsaved mindset. This is that's earthly, earthbound thinking. Heaven's laws is ruled by heaven and by God. This is true not only in what we do, but what we don't do. This is forgiveness. We are all in desperate need to be forgiven by others. We cannot go through life, no matter how careful we may be in our relationships, in our dealings with one another, without standing in need of forgiveness at some time from from one another. Colossians 3, verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a complaint against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Has Christ forgiven you? Oh, think about the debt, as we just mentioned, that has been removed by the graciousness of Christ. Then you are indebted to give that kind of grace to one another. We're often highly offended to hear that others have criticized us, forgetting that we've often measured that same measure out to other people. Our old natures are are always in need, always needing to be put down. The Apostle Paul said, I I die daily. This is a a constant putting to death the, the deeds of the body, the slaying that resentment, that pride, pouring out those, that damned-up bitterness and freely giving it all over to the Lord. If we live by this golden standard, this golden rule, we would never have regrets, would we? Think about it. Always treating others to the highest level of regard. Treating others exactly as we would want to be treated in every situation. There would never be any regrets. You'd always be giving your best. You'd always be at your best. We would not keep score. Uh, mentally calculating the slights, the offenses, and the misdeeds of others, which is is a really cruel, horrible way to live. And yet so many are bound in that, that record-keeping, score-keeping kind of mindset. When in doubt. And this is not as easy as it seems because we are, find ourselves in some situations sometimes and we think, well, how, what is the thing to do here? When in doubt, this is the rule to live by. All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. How would I want to be treated in this same situation if the roles were reversed? We take great care, for example, for our reputations, and, and rightfully so. But should we take great care of the reputations of other people? How carefully we try to do the right thing and say the right thing and, and make sure that we're, we're right before others and before, before the Lord. Shouldn't we be that careful, that uh, uh, much of a caring for the reputation of others? That would 
make us very careful about what we say, what we pass along. Remember, I read from Leviticus, thou shalt not go up and down among your people as a talebearer. This will make us think carefully about what we say to others, what incidents we pass along and, and relate to others. We should be as jealous, someone has said, of others' reputation as we are of our own. We ought all remember that where we came from, what grace that we've needed. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 21, Jehovah reminds the children of Israel, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger or foreigner who's come into your land, nor oppress him. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. He calls them to remember that period of time, those hundreds of years, when you were under the harsh taskmasters of Egypt. Don't ever forget that. It is said that George Mueller in, of Bristol, uh, England, where he had those vast orphanages, this was calligraphied in place where all the, the children could see that verse. Remember that ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Don't ever forget where you came from and what measures of grace that you've needed and how gracious the Lord has been to you. As in murder and adultery, remember when we study those, Jesus tells us where murder begins. It doesn't begin when the gun is shot or the knife is plunged or the, the, the deed is done. And adultery does not begin with the physical act. It's first and foremost a matter of the heart. That's where it all begins. If we kill sin in the thought, it will never, ever become an act. If we love our neighbor as ourselves, we will never take advantage of him or of anything that is his. Remember those commandments end with thou shalt not covet your neighbor's, and he lists some things, and then it goes, anything that is your neighbor's. That just summarizes the sin of murder, of stealing, adultery, because none of the, all those things that are not ours are our neighbor's. And if we love our neighbors ourselves, we will never take advantage of them. John Brown writes, Let all who habitually neglect or violate this law recollect that whatever be their profession, they are not Christians. Even now Christ is saying to others, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Notice this gold standard in the, in the latter part of the verse. What does it say? The very last part of this verse. The first part says, Whatever... All things, whatever you would do that men should do to you, do to them. What is the standard, though? What does he base that on? This is the law and the prophets. Now, remember the audience that our Lord was addressing. His disciples were there. And in the larger audience of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were calling into question everything he said. Because even in this sermon, he said, You've heard it of old, but I say unto you. And what he was referring to, we've gone over this over and over again, they took the writings and the commentaries of their, their fathers, the scribes and the Pharisees, and put it on the same level as the very word of God. The scribes had said, if you did not physically commit the act of adultery, you'd not committed adultery. But Jesus, what he said, I say unto you, if you commit a sin in your heart, it is the same as doing it. And so they called into question that he was putting himself on the level with the Word of God. Something they had done with their own writings. He is the Word of God. He wrote the Scriptures. He gave the Scripture. He, he's the Word made flesh. And so when Jesus says this is the standard of the law and the prophets, he's calling them to the back beyond their writings and their father's writings to the very Word of God. 
This is what God has always expected of his people, Jesus is saying, from the very beginning of time, from Moses. The books of Moses, the books of the prophets, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even also to them. Our Lord backs up his teaching by the word of God, and and so should we. We don't just say, this is what you should do because I said so. All of our teaching should be based on the very word of God, and that's what Jesus is saying here. The law of the prophets demanded. The doctrine of Christ is of equal weight to the doctrine of Moses and the teaching of the prophets. It is all the word of God. It is God's truth. They spake nothing but what God told them, the prophets. They didn't just, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea didn't say, well, I need to get something off my chest and tell these people off because they're really, they're really bugging me and they really are violating some things. No. None of those prophets decided they wanted to tell people some things. In fact, it went against their nature. And God said, this is my word. The word of the Lord appeared. Remember how the scriptures over and over again says, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and so forth. And so the law of the prophets, the law and the, the word of the prophets is the very word of God. They spoke only what God told them to speak and nothing more, nothing less. How could we do any different? It's the very word of God. Christ himself in his person is, of course, above the person of Moses or the, or the prophets. He was God in the flesh. But their words were the words of God, and so was his. And that's what Jesus is saying here. What I'm teaching you here is the, very, the same as, the, as Moses and the prophets. Now, they could not argue with that because I began this evening reading from Leviticus and other Old Testament portions that say this very same thing in other ways. You see, they were always trying to catch Jesus in some kind of loophole, trying to say, call, cause him to say something that was blasphemous or untrue. In the beginning, though, it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and then John tells us the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Old Testament taught the, the duty of seeking the good of our neighbor on the same level as seeking our own good. All of us look after ourselves. We, we look after our investments, our belongings, our health very carefully. And the Bible tells us we should be as concerned about our neighbor as ourselves. It, it over and over again forbade that, that of doing anything which would cause any injury or harm to someone. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. If thou meet thy neighbor's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. That was the law. God told when you see a neighbor's animal, which was the same as your SUV rolling down the street, you know, their, their animals, their ox, that was the, the, the same thing. You go after it. You help them. You bring it back if you see something that can be corrected. Clearly, that was... Uh, the principle of doing other, unto others as you would do unto, have them do unto you. Thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need, for that which he wanteth. Deuteronomy uh, 15, verse 7. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Uh, Proverbs uh, 24, verse 17. If thine enemy be hungry... Give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Proverbs 25, verse 21. And so we see over and over again the, the Old Testament teaching the very thing that Jesus is teaching here. Paul put it this way, that beautifully, 
poetic written portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I may could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity, and then he describes just exactly what our Lord is saying here, suffereth long, has a long fuse, if you will, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. He so beautifully describes that love that we should have with one another. Well, granted, it is a tall standard, isn't it? It's the gold standard. It is the golden rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. It's very simple, isn't it? The simplest child across the way and the class across the way understands what that means. For this is the law and the prophets. We would say this is the word of God. Well, may the Lord give us grace to put into practice what we've heard tonight.